Support for WVIK comes from Kathleen Collins at the Dragonfly in Bettendorf. Using both conventional and alternative counseling methods for empowerment to help create change for individuals and couples. More information is at KathleenCollinsCounseling.com. Support for Talking Heart on WVIK comes from the people at Quad City Bank and Trust, helping the local community with their banking and financial needs for more than 20 years. Information is at QCBT.com. Support also comes from the estate of Margaret Skinner, a longtime friend of WVIK and lover of the arts. This is Carolyn Martin, and I'm talking art today with Caroline Louise Walker, a Rock Island native and author of the recently published novel Man of the Year. Thanks for coming in today, Caroline, and congratulations on your book. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure to be here. Now, what's the storyline behind Man of the Year? Man of the Year, the story, the plot, is about a man who seems to have it all. His world could not be more picture perfect, and it's kind of turning the beautiful doll inside out. He suspects his wife of possibly having an affair with a much younger man who happens to be his son's best friend, a 20-year-old boy. And um, all of the things this man will do to avoid facing what might be this uncomfortable truth unravels his whole life. He'll destroy a lot in his way. Um, So that's the plot line. And underneath it all, it's really a story about how hard this man will work to avoid being uncomfortable. And it's about seeing people and being seen and showing oneself and, um, and how much more complicated it is to avoid being honest and being real. It's a lot of work to be a liar. Mm-hmm. So this main character, who is Dr. Robert Hart, mm-hmm. his outside veneer is is one of perfection mm-hmm. and competence. But underneath it all, he's he's really unraveling. And, and you do get some clues early in the book. He has this, um, the exterior of his home, uh, this widow's walk, this historic kind of piece on his, his home is in disrepair. Um, that's kind of a little bit of a clue. Mm-hmm. Um, it's based in the Northeast, uh, there are not many nods to your hometown. Um, it's uh, though I thought there was a, a conversation between the main character and the wife uh, that occurs in the Lemongrass Cafe. I was wondering if that perhaps was a little local reference. One hundred percent. I love lemongrass. It's our best Thai, I think. Well, we have a lot of great Thai food around here, but I love that spot. It has a close place in my heart. When I was trying to choose a name for that particular venue, I thought, well, that just feels very. That feels the right place to plug. And there are a lot of itty-bitty little plugs in there to people and places that I love. But mm-hmm. you're right. It is it is far removed from the world in which I grew up and the places where, where my roots are anchored. Um, and I think maybe that's why it felt safe to explore some of these these characters uh-huh. whose lives are so far outside of myself yeah. is to go to this this other place. I like the fact that it's written in the first person mm-hmm. uh, narrative, and it's primarily from the point of view of the main character, which again is Dr. Robert Hart. What what was that like for you writing in the first person, but from a male perspective? Fun. I mean, it was fun and felt filthy sometimes because <laughs> of this particular character, not because he's a man in general. But it was a blast falling into this this perspective. I think at times. I have wondered how a man like this, in a general way, moving through my life, thought, how does that person, how can that person talk to somebody like that? How can that person experience me like that? And so that was, this was me trying to understand how can that person and get inside what is going on in this person's head and then falling into it quite deeply (laughs) and having a lot of fun with the freedom of kind of crawling around in that filthy headspace and, and not all filthy. It's, I mean, I think he's a, 
he's a troubled guy who thinks there's a there there and has, has thinks he's arrived and and what's going to happen once he arrives um and then he still has himself to face down. Mm-hmm. And we meet other characters, not just through him, but they speak in their own first person narrative. Right. And they see the world and the main character in very diff- in a very different way. That's correct. Mm-hmm. And the book starts with, with him being nominated for the Citizen of the Year. And he, he kind of changes that right. a little bit to your book title, which mm-hmm. is Man of the Year. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, in print in the newspaper article and at the ceremony, every place you see it says Citizen of the Year, but the way this man internalizes it and the only way he can conceive of it is man of the year and i think that that's telling for his character mm-hmm. and for the the way that he experiences mm-hmm. people and what is a citizen and what is somebody worthy of honor and it is his mind it just never occurs to him that it won't be mm-hmm. the man of the year he also seems to have trouble understanding women and the women in his life who are the closest to him um, there's one point where his wife elizabeth um responds to him he had said this isn't the elizabeth i know and she replied that's just the trouble isn't it like they really don't understand each other i think that's it i think um in some ways they allow themselves to not be understood but in some ways they um they refuse to see clearly and it's really heartbreaking to see how much this man is missing out on how many interesting people are in his world that he's not connecting with or seeing below the surface or seeing them as more than props in his own production or or evidence of his desirability um, or objects of desire. I think that's, um, that's the way he experiences people. So the way we meet these characters often is through his point of view, um, which is a limited point of view. And then hopefully the reader's opinion of these char- characters changes as we start to see them um, in new layers and mm-hmm. sort of break into something. In a fuller light. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are, you know, many important pertinent themes in your book. And, and the story, in essence, is about the unraveling of this one man's life. But there are deeper messages about how we don't know the people that we, in in fact, are closest to, that our sense of reality is incorrect, sometimes wildly incorrect. What, what compelled you to write this? Well, I think there is something valuable. On the one hand, I think there's something valuable about maintaining an inner world, maintaining my own, like for me personally, I don't know, I can't speak in broad strokes, but um, to have my own sort of secret world sometimes feels valuable. And I don't mean secret in terms of keeping secrets, but just a rich internal life. And maybe that's part and parcel with being a writer and working in isolation and work living in my imagination and fleshing out my work in my head that I need to have a rich and fully realized internal world. But I think sometimes there is to hold on to some of these pieces. I don't ever want to give my whole self away, and I don't want to ever take somebody's whole self um, in a relationship, in romance, in love, in family, in work, um, to be able to experience people as individuals who have like fully realized senses of self and augment that or enhance that or learn from it, be amazed by it, be humbled by it, be disgusted by it, and then still coexist and, and build um, alongside one one another, I think that's something that feels important. But also, how truly this piece about how much we miss out on when we don't allow each other to see one another as fully realized human beings—it's a real shame we do not be able to um, experience other people as fully as we possibly can in this lifetime. Um, and so, I, I kind of wanted to explore that place of where we get to hold on to ourselves, but also 
um, be experiences ourselves, which is, I think, something that's always, for me, it's always growing and changing and shifting. It's not like I'm a static thing. Um, to appreciate that in one another is, I think, where intimacy, this is like a, I, I think of this book as a clash of image and intimacy, just going like head first into one another. And this man, how important image is to him um, and how important he thinks image is to other people and just assumes that other people need to see him in a particular way and how much that puts up a barrier between him, intimacy with other people. Mm -hmm. Then that's the beauty of fiction is that you're able to really create this whole world and make us think about those those themes, you know, in this in this very specific manner. So I'm wondering if you could read a short paragraph uh, for us, one in which the main character, Dr. Robert Hart, is is meditating about the messiness of of just not just his life but life in general, um, and the capacity for give, for forgiveness. You bet. Um, so this comes on page 263, sort of toward the end of the book, but he's. This, in a lot of his choices, he has talked about everything that he's doing is for his family. The way he justifies his behavior and his actions, um, he ha does not have much of a capacity to experience that as his own insecurities. I don't think he can even process that he has insecurities. So he justifies a lot of his behaviors um, in terms of he's defending his family and how he's doing that. And this is, his, this is sort of where he comes to in that um, respect. He says... In the messes we make, the awakenings, the messes we fix, the lives we choose and the ones we inherit, in the better or worse, the ambiguity and ambivalence, and the things we can never undo, and the things undone in effort, and the parts we maintain in our bodies and our molecular composition, in our lust and our ambition, and our best attempts at right and wrong, we are family, part of a pack, a school, a pride. It is cruel and it is vital. And at the end of it all, I will know that I did my best for him, my son, my seed. This is my life and my legacy. Heaven knows I wouldn't trade it for the world. I think that was beautiful. I remember when I read your book, I paused and had to read that particular paragraph over again because I do think it summarizes a lot of what you're getting across in this book. Thank you. Um, I think there's a nice moment here, too. As, as you've read the book, we come to this point. He says, heaven knows I wouldn't trade it for the world, which is a touch of a callback to a previous passage, too, that's worth noting. So pay attention, because I think it's kind of fun to see the way this man's layers of self-awareness or lack thereof um, unfold on the page. Mm -hmm. How long did it take you to write this? Hmm. I think probably, probably all in all, it took maybe six months to draft the manuscript. But but I took pauses in between and got feedback from people. I'd write for a while, then work on something else. And I think those breaks, I can get so eager to just barrel through. But it's really helpful to have feedback from um, from colleagues and friends and and sort of keep make sure I'm staying on track, which I was, but also to get a to take a step back to come back and have marinated in these characters and um, had some new ideas. So probably six months to draft a year to see the manuscript feeling where I wanted it to. Mm -hmm. And then I sold the book. I mean, the book sold a year and a half ago. So these stages of, I have an extraordinary editor. I've worked with wonderful people who've helped me turn that manuscript into the book that we see today, mm -hmm. which thank goodness I have that, that help and support and getting other perspectives has made all the difference. So. so we always hear so much about how hard that revision and the editing part, part is of a book, that often it changes it. I think you told me that really your first draft is just this this very rough lump of clay in a, in, in a way, and, and it becomes more formed. 
with time. What what was what was more difficult for you that that initial writing or uh, or the the kind of the polishing uh, phase to get to that finished product? I'd been playing with some other ideas and had drafted some other work that never I never finished. Um, this one, all in all, was actually quite fun and relatively. I mean, I say that on the other side. If you talk to me a couple of years ago, I might have been pulling my hair out. I don't remember anymore, but. It was fun. It felt like it flowed freely. The characters took control and told me where they wanted to go and where the story wanted to go. Um, in general, I, have a, I think editing and revising can be tricky because I can start to get attached to sentences and characters. And But this time, the editing was actually a blast because I really, really trusted the people that I was working with in large part because I was getting suggestions about sort of what could be pulled out, what could be emphasized, what maybe would help the story pop, but never told how to do it. Um, and giving the freedom to execute in the ways that felt natural to me and for the story felt, it was that kind of freedom, but having some guidelines, it was a lot of fun to be able to, I could see why those things would make the manuscript better, and they did, and I'm so grateful for that guidance. Mm -hmm. This was published by Gallery Books, which is a division of Simon & Schuster. And I'm curious about how you found a, a publisher. Did, did your agent do that for you, or how, how did the whole process work? Yes. Thank goodness I have an extraordinary agent who is able to do the work that I can't even imagine um, and really teamed me up with an incredible editor and another editor. I've worked with a team there who's who's really been just a strong fit, I think, having an agent who knows me and knows my style and my personality and my heart um, found me some people who I've worked so well with. It's just, it's been really fun. So those relationships, I've learned that having one good relationship leads to more good relationships because if people know and respect how I work, um, they're going to find me people who are going to help make the work better. Mm -hmm. Now tell us a little bit about your path to fiction writing, mm. because as is so often the case, it was not a straightforward Not pursuit. at all. Mm -mm. Although when I look back now, I look at these stories I wrote as a kid, and I think probably, and I, and I remember saying I wanted to write a book many times in my life and in my youth, and that part of myself always that must have always known this is something I wanted to do. And that um, was while you were growing up here in Rock Island. Yes, that's right. That's mm -hmm. when I was a little girl going to Red Shoes over here by Augustana and having the freedom to imagine. Um, so that was my preschool and went to Hanson and Edison and Rocky and had really great English teachers. And I think about Mr. Frears and diagramming sentences in junior high and Mrs. Perkins and caring about research and just the respect for for the written word mm -hmm. and the way a sentence sounds. And Mrs. Radloff, my first grade teacher, who let me notate my little poems with musical notation and without telling me that's not how you're supposed to write because I think the lyricism of language was always instinctively important to me. And um, having teachers who encouraged that imagination surely laid the foundation. Mm -hmm. But I think it took me... It took me a while to find out that I was a fiction writer, and I think in large part because I thought I needed to have an MFA and a particular line of training in order to be qualified to do that. I have so much respect for MFA programs and so much respect for fiction writers. I guess maybe that's it at its core. I respect fiction so much. I respect mm -hmm. literature. I respect nonfiction. I respect writers so much that I, I think for a long time I felt like, well, who am I to think I'm a writer, where do I belong in that? And I started getting jobs um, at one point. I worked at National Lampoon in Los Angeles, um, archiving magazines and 
Um, I worked, I taught English abroad and I studied global affairs in graduate school. I studied theater in undergrad and was always writing something, whether it was policy papers or performances for theater. Um, but it was it was falling into some nonfiction, writing online, and then having a friend tell me, just what what are you waiting for? Write fiction and feeling like I needed permission. And somebody finally kind of gave it to me. And I, I don't I don't think I knew that's what I was waiting for. And it's a shame. So I guess that that's something I wouldn't I don't really believe in giving advice, but I'd say if anybody's out there waiting for permission, you have it. Right. <laughs> just and, go ahead and do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's what it to, to be a writer. It's just to sit down and write. It's easy to talk about writing, but. Mm-hmm. So do you think writing is cathartic for you in some way? 100%. I do. I think sometimes I don't know what the catharsis will even be before. Sometimes I'm playing with language, playing with words or a character and don't realize until I've gotten through. I don't s- intend to hit a theme. I want to tell a story. But as I'm working through the story, the themes emerge and it becomes really clear what I'm trying to um, resolve within myself. And I'm able to find a way on the page to purge a thing, see it realized and made real on the page, and then sort of come to some some solution um, through the characters and maybe within myself find some peace. Right. And some of that here, it's being se- this element of being seen. And I think this, the Elizabeth character I think there was there was a lot to explore um, with these characters that felt ultimately really satisfying mm-hmm. for me personally. And hopefully, I think for the characters, I think I honored them well in the story and hopefully for the reader as well. You'll be doing a reading a book signing tonight at the Moline Public Library at 630, which is free to the public. That's correct. And as part of that event, there's a fundraiser supporting classrooms in the Rock Island School District, which yes. which is so cool since that's where you went to school. Yes. Uh, and tell us a little bit more about that. Well, event. to be clear... No gifts or donations are required at all. Everybody's welcome. Please come for a party. We'll hang out. I'll sign books. I'll do a little reading, answer some questions. Just be a fun community event. That's the most important thing. I'm framing it as a novel shower. I am a grown woman who's never been married, never had a baby, and I love my life, and I love my friends' weddings, and I love my friends' babies, and I love celebrating the things, um, the big events in my friends' lives, and I think... It's interesting that there aren't really social structures in place to celebrate women whose lives follow paths that don't quite go on a particular linear path that we've always celebrated. It'd be very easy to fall into. You know, that's the way it's always been. Mm-hmm. So I'm having a shower and people can come. They can. I have a gift registry, everything that school supplies that will be going to the first day fund benefiting District 41. Um, but thinking about, you know, the man of the year, he's very comfortable celebrating himself. This comes very naturally to him. I think maybe it's time to start figuring out how to feel more comfortable um, celebrating people who perhaps are not falling into the man of the year mold. Yeah, I think so, too. <laughs> well, Caroline, thank you so much for talking today. And congratulations on the release of your first novel. Thanks for having me. Stop by the Moline Public Library tonight at 6.30 p.m. for the novel party celebrating the release of Caroline Louise Walker's first book. A reading and book signing will take place and a registry is available through which all gifts will support classrooms in the Rock Island School District where the author went to school. You can obtain a copy of her novel, Man of the Year, at local bookstores or online at all major retailers. This has been Carolyn Martin, Talking Art in the Quad Cities for WVIK. Our theme music is provided by a Quad City legend, the late Ellis Cal. Thank you.